Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Uh, I come from Denver, Colorado in the States. Anyone been to Colorado here? You ever been to Denver? Three of you. Uh, it's, a lot, it's a lot like here. Um, we have about 310 days of full sun every year. It's, it's a lot, that's a lot. It's a lot like here, right? That's, oh, no, wait. It's nothing like here. Uh, so I would uh, not recommend you visit because you might not come home. So uh, just stay right where you are. But no, uh, we... We moved there the 9-11-2001 from uh, another place called Columbus, Ohio, uh, to plant a church. We moved with 10 people and started meeting in homes, and I got a job waiting tables, a server at a restaurant, and slowly over many years, very, very slowly, starting with a small group and then a few other small groups, and then it just continued to grow. Uh, in the last seven years... We've baptized just over a thousand people, gave their life to Christ in the life of our church. So it's an incredible gift from God. And we don't know each other very well, but if we knew each other more, you would know it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And uh, so we're incredibly grateful. And I'm just so grateful to be with you here now. Um, you don't know this, and, and there's no way you would know this if you're just in this church. But you don't know this, but people from all over the world uh, are watching what God is doing here. I mean, when you're just in a place and you're serving, you're just kind of doing your day-to-day stuff, you don't really know. You don't have a sense of how what you're doing extends beyond you. But know that uh, in our vineyard family and all over the world, I mean, people listen to see what God is doing here and what God is doing in uh, this nation and on this island. And so if you serve here, you give here, you show up faithfully, you do the little things, you know, I'm watching people in the back setting up chairs and the people running around making coffee and doing the things. Uh, I just want to say that everything you do has an impact that goes beyond what you could be aware of. And so I come from across the pond to say thank you. I'm very grateful for what God is doing here and uh, we're all learning from you, and we're watching what God is doing with you, and so uh, don't, don't screw up. <laughs> Be really bad if you screwed up. And also, uh, you know, I'm in a lot of different churches, you know, all over the world, and, you know, you get to meet all kinds of different pastors and leaders, and I really do want to, from the outside, commend to you Andy and Dana, as your pastors. These are incredible people. They love you. They love the city. They love this church. They talk about you fondly even when you're not there. Uh, So they don't just put on a face and pretend they're giving their lives for this city and for you and these people. And so if you don't pray for them, would you pray for them? Because they're just humans. But they have been called by God. And if you haven't encouraged them lately, would you encourage them? Just tell them again how grateful you are because as pastors, we look like we know what we're doing, but we don't. (laughs) We just don't. We're just trying to depend on God and faithfully serve for the next step. And so so if if you haven't encouraged them lately, you should. 
and you should pray for them and you should encourage them. Amen? They're a gift to you. They're a gift to the city. And uh, so please, uh, I, I, and, and listen, I get to be around a lot of pastors who mostly are just kind of in it because I don't know how somehow they got stuck in this thing and they're managing. These are people that really do love you and pray for you and are called by God. So I want to commend them to you from the outside. Um, in the little bit of time we have this morning, I just want to do a few things very quickly. I prayed. I really felt like God gave me a word for this season and for this moment uh, of the life of this church. And I'm going to do that in maybe a way that is a little... Uh, different than maybe what you're familiar with. I want to tell you a bit of my story, and then I want to just share a, a very specific text that I think God brought to mind that I think relates to what God wants to do in and through the life of this church. Um, a little bit about me. I mean, uh, as you as you look at me, one of the things people often think, though they are often not brave enough to ask it, is what exactly are you? <laughs> what is this? this? What is this? Um, and and uh, usually, if someone has the courage to ask me, I just make it increasingly more awkward and say, what do you think? <laughs> and I've had people ask, uh, you know, say, are you you're Arab? You know, if, you're, if I'm in the Arab world, they think I'm Saudi. And and sometimes I've been in I've been in Italy, and people will say, "Oh, you're Italian." I actually had somebody yesterday. You're Italian, aren't you? So it's a good guess. Uh, I've had people guess literally everything. I, there's there's I, I've only been in one place in the world that it was clear there was no way I was from there, and that was I was in South Sudan, and they were like, "You're not from here." Uh, but but about. <laughs> About everywhere else, people are like, are you Turkish? Are you, you know, they're always, they're always kind of guessing. Right now, I'm getting your guesses right now. So you can form your guess. It's totally fine. There's nothing offensive about it. You, you, you have your guess? Did you have your guess? Okay. My father is from India. How many of you guessed Indian? Yeah, you did? Okay. Jesus knows. Are you lying? Okay, so, so people, my father. My father's from India, um, and my mother is blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh, both her parents are from London, and so my parents met at university. So my my mom, blonde hair, blue eyes, six feet tall. My mom is a my dad is a five seven uh, Indian man. So you know they're. So if you put that together. This is what you get. And so they met at university, uh, and they both had really interesting backgrounds. My father was raised Hindu in a very strict Hindu family, and as he came to the States, he really kind of rejected his faith. It was just like the faith of his family. He just was like, that doesn't help. That doesn't mean anything. My mom was raised in a Methodist church, so she was about 10, but actually that was a pretty... Uh, negative experience for her, so she had mostly had rejected her faith. And so when they met together, they didn't really have much of a shared faith story, or really a faith story of any kind that they were embodying. And then, of course, getting married, um, a little Indian man and a tall white woman. My dad became a professor in the American South uh, at a school in Boone, North Carolina, 
Um, and as they showed up in the 60s with this job, the first piece of mail they had was the KKK welcomes you. We meet in the Methodist church across the street. And they systematically just experienced massive racism from people that called themselves Christians. So whatever vestiges or interest in faith that may have been there was gone, totally gone by the time they got married and started to try to work out their life together. So by the time they're raising me, um, you know, there, there was just no real inclination toward faith, mostly just sort of thought that people who had life with God or, or church-type people were just mostly ignorant and stupid. Like they weren't necessarily bad people. They just were kind of dumb people. Because my dad had three PhDs, he was a law degree, my mom had a master's degree, ran a business, and it was just like, you know, if people have faith, it's mostly because they're just not that bright and they need a crutch. They need something that will just sort of prop them up. And so I was mostly raised to think that way, and to be entirely honest, many of the youth group kids, kids that I met that were raised in church, didn't do a lot to change that opinion. I found them to be, at best, annoying. Right, amen? amen? No, just kidding. We're in church. We're in church. We're in church. Anyway, so, so that was just my experience. And uh, I remember, I can remember vividly meeting one kid. His name was Johnny. And Johnny and I played sports together. I played tennis really competitively. Uh, I also played basketball. He was a good basketball player. We'd play basketball together. And Johnny was really just strange to me. As I got to know him, I could just tell something was different about this guy. You know, there was something different about him. There was a level of just security about him. He just didn't live with the same kind of stress and anxiety that everybody I knew. He just seemed really settled in himself. And he was a lot of fun. Um, He and I mostly made our friendship, was mostly based on playing basketball together, doing practical jokes on people, and pickup lines. Do you know any pickup lines? You know, you go to like a woman, a girl. You say, "Did it hurt?" And she says, "Did what hurt?" When you fell from heaven. <laughs> oh, yeah, it didn't go great. Was. <laughs> It wasn't very successful, but it was just, it was a fun thing that we would do. Anyway, so I got to know Johnny. Now, little did I know, Johnny loved and followed Jesus. Looking back now, I wasn't just attracted to the fact that we had fun together. I was drawn to him because I, I think I could see faith. I could see Jesus in him. And one day that seemed like any other day, Jesus, uh, Johnny invited me to a party. He said, let's go to this party. I go, sure, I'll go to a party. Been to lots of parties. He says, there's going to be a lot of good-looking girls there. I went, I'm in. Let's go. You know, when you're a young man, that's pretty much all it takes. So I went to this party, and it was unlike any party I'd ever been to. Uh, I'd been to lots of parties. First of all, there was no beer or alcohol at all, which I found strange. There was like soda and pizza. And it was all stacked in the back, and there were rows of chairs all throughout the room. And a stage. We were kind of eating pizza and 
drinking different kinds of soda. And I, all of a sudden, everybody shuffled in the chairs and a band started playing and we started singing karaoke. Have you ever been to one of these? Been to one? It was Christian karaoke. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Now you're seeing it, right? See, if you've never been in church, there's nowhere you go where you sing songs together and face a wall. I'd never been to church. I just was like, what are we doing? This is so strange. And we're all singing songs and it's Christian karaoke. What are we doing? And they're singing. Everyone just seemed like this is the most normal thing in the world. And then it ends. Everybody sits down. A dude pops up. He's like, you know, I'm going to share a few things with you. I'm like, this is the weirdest party ever. What is happening in this room? And this guy just blah, 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 said a whole bunch of things that made no sense. But something very strange happened. In the middle of his just yammering on about random things, it felt as though the whole room slowed down and there was like a spotlight on me. It was the strangest experience. And he said this, he said, everything that is whispered in the corners will one day be shouted from the rooftops. Everything that is done in the dark will one day be brought to the light. And I had a physical experience. It felt as though someone kind of was squeezing my chest with their hands. And I knew that I knew that I knew that what he said was true. I didn't know why it was true. I didn't know what it meant. But I knew somehow in my guts... That what I, everyone thinks they're doing in secret, whatever they think they're doing they can hide from others, one day, somewhere, somehow, we will be held accountable. And it will be known by everyone. And that wasn't exactly a pleasant thought for me. And then all of a sudden, that weird moment ended, and he just kept, so I have this moment, and then we're back into the thing. And I thought, what in the world was that? That was really strange. And he finishes, and he goes, you know, some of the things I said today are in the Bible. Like the thing I said about whispering in the corner, shouting on the rooftop, everything in the dark being brought to the light. That's in the Bible. If you've never read the Bible, I would love to give you a Bible. And I thought, well. I don't, I've never read the Bible. I don't have a Bible. I'll get a Bible. And I walked up. He's standing right in front of the stage. I can see a stack of Bibles on the stage. I went, oh, okay. So I walked up. He's standing there. I said, hey, mention if, you know, you want to get a Bible, I'd, I'd get a Bible. I'd like to have a Bible. And he goes, oh, great. Yeah, well, you know, why don't you uh, just go over to McDonald's. We're all going to be at McDonald's. I'll give you a Bible there. I went, oh, well, but they're right there. So you just give me. Just give me one of those. Is it going to be one of those? Because you just give me one of those. He goes, no, no, no. I'll, yeah, yeah I'll, give, I'll give it to you at McDonald's. But I mean, it's there now, so we can just, you can just give me the Bible. No, no, I'll give it to you at McDonald's. Okay. You know, so I walk out. Little did I know that a group of people for a couple of years had been praying for me by name. A couple years earlier, Johnny and his youth group had been at a camp where the preacher told, said that God can save anyone, and told the story of Saul becoming Paul, and said, you should begin to pray for the person you believe is furthest from God. And 
Johnny and all his little friends and youth group wrote Jay Pathak in their Bibles. And he said, you should pray for them every day that God would bring them to know who Jesus is. So the youth group, Johnny and this guy were like, we got him. <laughs> so, so when he says, come to McDonald's, it's a setup. I had this sense it was a setup. You know, you're kind of like, just give it to me now. He's like, no, 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 I'll see you at McDonald's. I'm like, something's going to happen to McDonald's. This is a setup. And that's exactly how it felt. You know, I walked into the McDonald's. There he is at this cheap plastic table with the Bible sitting there. He's like, Jay, come on in. I'm like, walk down the aisle of people all kind of staring. And we and sit down. He goes, I just have a question for you. Do you consider yourself a spiritual person? I said, not really. And he said, oh, okay. He says, well, have you been born again? I said, I, I have no idea what you're saying. I mean, and, and it was just right out of like John 3. If you've read the passage, I said, what would it be like to be born again? That just sounds really gross and weird. Have you seen how people are born? Anyway, and so <laughs> that's a creepy thought. I mean, it's pornographic. You know, I, anyway, so... And he goes, well, do you know what this is? This is the Word of God. And I said, what do you mean it's the Word of God? He goes, this, this is God wrote this book. This is the Word of God. And I said, I don't even know what, that, what you're saying. He goes, God wrote this book. And I said, God wrote that book. He goes, oh, yeah. I go, that doesn't make any sense. He wrote it. He like wrote it, and it just like fell out of the sky. He goes, well, no, people wrote it. And they gave accounts of being with God and from God. I go, well, how do you know that? He goes, well, I know that because, you know, they wrote it. And, and I said, well, how do you, that book, that exact book. He goes, yeah, they didn't write it on a scroll. He goes, well, they wrote it on scrolls and we collected the scrolls. And the, I go, so then they handed it to other people who wrote it. And then that's from like some publishing place of some kind. And then so the, all the scrolls turned into a book and they pass it down and they retranslate and, and we start arguing. We start arguing for like an hour, hour and a half. And I just keep creating more and more arguments. And he's spinning, and people are like, uh-oh, this is not going the way it was supposed to go. I can just see them all like, uh-oh, he's blowing it. Help him, help him, Lord. And the Lord did not help him. Uh, it, it was terrible. And by the end, he finally just goes, I don't know, just take the Bible. And I remember thinking, that's what I wanted to start with. We could have avoided this whole terrible experience. Thanks. And I leave. Uh, later, many years later, we became uh, friends, and he told me he went home that night, looked at his wife, and said, I think I need to quit. Some, some kid just spun me in circles for hours. Anyway, so take the Bible, and I start reading the Bible. Now, have, you read, have you read that book? You should try. It's a weird book, man. I mean, when you start reading it from the beginning, especially, because that's how you're supposed to read a book, right? You read it from the beginning. I open it in the beginning, I start reading, I'm like, what is this? There's all these weird stories about people. I was convinced I had the wrong book. I, I, you know, I didn't know anything about church or faith or anything. So I'm like, wait a minute, where's any Christian stuff? This is all about Jews. I got the Jewish book. So like in the religious book factory, they got switched somehow. This is like, I didn't know that Jews and Christians had shared faith, right? I had no idea. I had no idea they had shared stories. So I'm reading this going, this is weird. It's, and there's all these lists of big, this person begat so-and-so. And if you read that book, then you keep reading, and then, and then it's like they're killing animals and splashing blood. And I mean, it's like, ugh. 
this is so weird. I mean, how does this have anything to do with anything? And I'm reading, and it's just weirder and weirder and odd. I like Job. I remember liking Job. I remember thinking, that guy is a dude. That guy, man, that job dude. That's what I called him. Called him Job. Anyway, so I'm like, Job, man, Job, you are good at this. And so I'm reading, and I'm reading, and for whatever reason, over the course of a year, I just kind of keep flipping through. And then I finally get to the New Testament, and I start reading about Jesus. And all I can think is, why don't they like him? They're so mean to him. People are like arguing with him, all this weird stuff's happening. And then they kill him. What in the world? I, again, I have no context. I'm like, why did they kill this guy? He didn't even do anything. And then I flip, and then he's back. And I'm like, that's an incredible story. You turn the next page, and guess what? He's being born again. It's strange. And then they kill him. And then he's back. And you flip the next page, he's being born again. <laughs> this is pretty repetitive. <laughs> I mean, consider what a weird book that is. And then they kill him. And then he's back. And then you turn the page, and he's born again. I mean, like, why do they got to tell the same story four times? And it's all from different... It's like, what is this? This is the weirdest book. And then they kill him, and then he's back. And now, all this weird stuff happens. Acts, and there's, like, people being teleported places. And, like... I mean, it's just... I don't have... I have no idea what any of this has to do with anything. It's so weird. But I'm kind of compelled by it, and keep reading. And one night, I'm reading Romans. Which, again, man, that book makes no sense. But I get to one part where Paul says this. I keep doing the things I don't want to do. Then there's these things I want to do. And I don't do them. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of death? And I read that and I had the same weird feeling I had in the Christian karaoke meeting a year earlier. It felt like someone was squeezing my chest, and I knew that that was true. I wanted to do things that were good and gracious and loving, and I, I just didn't do them. There were things I didn't want to do, and I just kept doing it. And when he said, who will save me from this body of death? I thought, that is true. That is me. That is everybody I know. And the very next verse, if you don't know it, do you know what it is? Romans 8.1, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. I read that and I went, wait a second, this is about freedom? This whole thing is about freedom. It's not trying to be a better person. It's not striving to be nicer or more moral. But that God has come in Jesus to set us free. I'm in. And uh, it felt as though someone was looking at me like, and now what? I didn't know what to do. I slid off my bed. I knelt on the floor and I said, God, if what this says is true that you can change this into this. I will serve you the rest of my life. I'll do anything you want me to do. And right there in my room, it felt as though from the ground to the ceiling, it was filled with warm liquid. It started filling my whole body, and I was breathing it in, and I was breathing it out, and I started weeping uncontrollably. 
It was the strangest, weirdest experience. And after I'd been weeping for about an hour, I thought, I'm losing my mind. I'm having a nervous breakdown. Shake it off, man. And I jumped to my feet and went, come on. Stop being so weird. And I I'd start to cry again. And then I'm like, just go to sleep. I lay down. I wake up. While, while I'm sleeping, I'm crying. I wake up in the morning, I'm crying. It felt literally like someone was cleansing me from the inside. I stood in the shower. I was crying. My friend came to pick me up to take me to school. I was crying. He goes, are you okay? I go, I'm totally fine. Don't look at me. <laughs> you know, I'm just crying like a crazy person. Thinking, I have li- I, my brain has broken. And I'm standing in the hallway. I see Johnny walking past. I go, Johnny, come here. He goes, what? I go, you're not going to believe what's happening. He goes, what's happening? I start to cry. He goes, what's wrong with you? I go, just listen. I've been reading the Bible. He goes, you're reading the Bible? I go, just listen to me. Just listen to me. And then Romans 7, I don't want to do. I do the do. I don't do. Freedom, warm, liquid, breathe. I'm weeping. I'm, I don't know what's happening to me. And he looks at me and goes, I know exactly what's happening. What? He gets real quiet. He goes, you're a charismatic. <laughs> I didn't know what it meant. I knew it was bad. <laughs> he said, listen, man, don't talk about the warm jello and the crying anymore. That part's weird. I go, great. He goes, just tell people from now on that you gave your life to Jesus and you've been born again. My mind zoomed all the way back to that plastic table in the McDonald's where the guy looked at me and said, have you been born again? And I went, oh no, he got me. (laughs) It took a year, but he got me. No, I lost. But I still had no idea what was going on. He said, Jay, join me in Bible study. I'm going to take you to church. God is changing you. He's going to change your whole life. Because one guy grabbed a group of friends and prayed for the person that they knew was farthest from Jesus. My entire life changed. I am quite literally eternally grateful for Johnny and his friends. I believe that for you, There are J-Pathics surrounding you. People that are far from God that you think have no hope and that God will reach through you to them. I believe that God has assigned this church to reach to the hundreds and thousands that surround you to lead them into brand new life in Jesus Christ. And it won't just happen with what they do on this stage. It will happen because God breaks your heart for them. The passage that I'd want you to consider, and you can consider this throughout the week, is in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. I'm just going to read it, say a few things, and we'll be done. Luke says this, One day, as he was teaching, this is Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, they were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some, some men carrying a paralytic on a mat tried to take him into the house to lay before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat 
threw the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Do you get this? These men try to carry this guy in. They can't get in, so they climb on the roof and they lower him. They rip a hole in the roof, and then they lower him. I mean, can you imagine if that happened in a meeting you were in? Like right now, all of a sudden, like dust and pieces of metal start falling, and some guy just starts lowering in. First of all, I know Andy wouldn't be thrilled <laughs> destroying your roof, but it would be bizarre. I mean, the, the, the courage of these people. The gall, the intensity, the stubbornness. They wouldn't let the crowd get in the way. They said, no, we're getting our friend there. Listen to what happens next. When Jesus saw, this is key, their faith. Not just his faith. Their faith. He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, began to think to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Yeah, I'd say. Here's what I want you to think about. Not just the man who ended up in front of Jesus, but the people that surrounded that man. In a very real way, I was like that paralyzed man. And a group of people decided to pray and do whatever it took to get me where I would hear about Jesus. What was it about these people that made them think this? Something must have happened where they loved Jesus so much. They knew something about Jesus and they loved this man that they said, we're going to do whatever it takes to get him there. So they pick up his mat. I mean, what we don't know from the story, is this the guy even want to go? I mean, being paralyzed means he doesn't really have a choice. They pick him up. And they start carrying him. And they get there and there's a crowd. Who would have blamed them if they just went, you know, there's too many people. We gave it a shot. Let's go. Nope. They go, there's got to be a way in there. I got it. Let's go on the roof. The other guys are like, let's do it. If one guy brought him, there's no way they get on the roof. You know, one guy carrying him, right? How's he going to get up on the roof? But three or four together, one guy climbs up. Two maybe, they pull him up. Four together can lower him. They choose to partner together to do whatever it takes to get this guy in front of Jesus. Listen, there are people surrounding you that God will reach through you to them to bring them into places like this where they get to hear about Jesus. Listen, when you bring people here, it's like you enter into a little agreement. If you're a guest here this morning, uh, right now, I'm making it weird for you. Like, is that why you brought me here? Anyway, but don't worry, I won't be here next week. It'll all be normal again. But when you bring people to this place, there's a little bit of an agreement, isn't there? They're like, Andy, I'll try and get my friends here. Don't do anything too weird. And if you've ever brought a friend to church, it's a 
it's a terrifying experience because it's something I call the cringe factor. Because the whole time you're at church, you're no longer seeing through your eyes, you're seeing through their eyes. And they start to sing a song and you're like, oh, not this song, this is a weird song. <laughs> oh man, we sat in the wrong seat. There's the weirdo with his hands up in front of me. Oh man, this is, oh. And you know, Andy's up there speaking and you're like, just oh, be better, be better. Just, just come on, go this way, not that way. Just say something. Oh, no, 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 not that one. I, I mean, my parents have no life with Jesus to this day. And, you know, from time to time, my parents will come visit, and I bring them to church. You know, we walk in the building, and I just see everything differently. You know, somebody comes up to greet them. I'm like, not them, not them. Let's go this way. <laughs> come on, right? Come on, no, no. Hey, Mom, Mom, look at look, look, look. You know, like you, you try, to, try to distract them. You know, you can get them in the exact right spot because you're so keen, you're just so aware of how everything works. But listen, here's what's amazing. First of all, I know that God has made this a place that people who have no life with God are welcome and they will discover life with Jesus. If you're here because somebody brought you, this is the right place. Jesus is alive and he's moving through these people and in this place. You can find God here. Take your time. You, there's questions you have. There's things you've got to figure out. This is a place you can find God. You will. But it's also a place that you can bring people, that you can trust. But let's be really honest. I mean, it might not be perfect all the time. I mean, for me, they tricked me. They lied to me. I wouldn't recommend lying, by the way. My point is this, even though everything was a mess and this guy did everything wrong, God was faithful because he is beautiful and wonderful and he's chasing people. And if you just do anything, it's amazing what God will use. And when I say that God will use you, I'm talking to you. Right now when I say that, some of you are like, oh, you mean him. No, you who has God placed you around? Who's a neighbor, a coworker, a friend that you begin to pray for and you invite to say, come with me. Come hear about who Jesus is. These men changed that man's life forever. I believe that you can be someone's Johnny. I believe that you can make a simple invitation and it's amazing to me it is literally miraculous of how many people are simply one invitation away from their entire life changing. One invitation away from every part of who they are being different. God could use you for that. I wonder who he would be speaking to you about right now. What neighbor, what friend... And if you would begin to pray and ask God, reach through me, I bet he will. I believe that God has appointed this church to see hundreds and thousands come into life with Jesus. Amen? And it will happen through you. Why don't we stand together? One of the funniest parts of this story is the fact that uh, the roof has a hole in it still at the end. And we never really ask who pays for the roof. Somebody's got to fix that thing. 
Uh, most commentators would argue that this is uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. So my guess is uh, Peter pays. Because if I called a meeting in my mother-in-law's house and someone ripped a hole in the roof, I'd be paying. <laughs> and so I also want to commend to you and thank you for those of you that have given sacrificially in this church. Somebody's got to pay. Somebody's got to say, I'll pay the price to create the right environment, to create a space that people who have no idea what it is to know and follow Jesus. So I want to thank you for your sacrificial giving. And I also want to challenge you, if you're someone that you're like, you know, I haven't really contributed in this church. I'm not really financially investing. Pay for the roof. Someone's got to make a way. Someone has to say, I will sacrifice the people can come into life with Jesus. So as we finish, we're going to do some things to respond to God. That's generally what we do in vineyards all over the world because we believe that God is here with us. He's speaking to us. He's leading us. And as I've been uh, talking, some of you have people that are coming to mind, neighbors and friends and coworkers. They're literally just showing up in your mind. You're going, oh, I'm thinking about this person. This person needs Jesus. How many of you had somebody just pop into your mind? Like as I'm talking, they just showed up in your mind. Yeah, even as I say it now. Okay, here's what I want to do. This is going to seem strange, but I would love for us to pray for you that God would give you favor and boldness to speak them in a way that isn't just physical, but it's supernatural. That God would put power on an invitation for you to invite them into a life with Jesus and even into a space like this. I want to pray that God would give you favor and boldness and power to overcome that little insecurity, that little awkward moment, because honestly, it's not about you. It's about how God's reaching through you. And what I believe God will do is put his heart in you. He'll give you a heart for them that's not just physical, but it's spiritual. He'll put his really big heart in your little body. And there's some of you that God is surrounding you with people that you could just reach and God will use you to pull people into life with him. And we want to pray that God will give you favor and empower you to do that. This is one of the things that Paul prays for. He says, pray that I'd be filled with boldness and favor that I might preach the gospel. If Paul thinks he needs prayer, I probably need prayer. You need prayer. So can we pray for you? If that's you, could you just step out of your chairs and come up and we, you can say that person's name and just ask We'd like to have people pray with you and just ask for God.